This morning I want to I want to share with you from a I don't know from a more uh, serious vein perhaps uh, I'd like to say this morning that this is Father's Day this is Father's Day this is another Father's Day the reason I say that this morning is because uh, I believe that the uh, a large portion this is not just for fathers but a large portion of what we want to communicate together today is really directed to the hearts of fathers in a very special way it's for all it's for everyone but especially uh, for fathers and I would entitle our comments uh, this morning the first command I'm going to share some things this morning that uh, they may affect some people in a more personal way than they would affect others uh, this is not this is not intended just by way of clarification this is not intended towards any particular person it's just that in the moment in which we find ourselves, there are certain things that uh, must be said, that should be said, and so we want to say some of these things. The greatest um, gift to all of us is the truth. No matter where we are, uh, the truth is always our best friend. And so this morning we want to discuss the subject together of the first command. Now Pat has the passage that we'll look at first in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34, and she'll put that one on the overhead. Most of the passages we'll read them from our Bibles, but this one we want to look at together from the overhead. But when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Just wait a second before we go on. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And so this morning we want to talk together again about the first, uh, the first commandment. I have, a, I have a few statistics I would like to share with you this morning. Just... Uh, before we read other passages of Scripture, let me, let me give you some statistics from uh, Statistics Canada. This is, um, these, these figures are pretty much up to date as of 2007. They accurately reflect uh, the sort of situation in Canada as of now. Approximately one-third of uh, marriages in Canada end in divorce. About 33% of marriages in Canada end in divorce. The percentage in our neighbors to the south is just a little bit higher than that. But here it's about one-third. Since uh, no-fault divorce was in, uh, initiated in, uh, or legalized in Canada about 30 years ago, the percentage of divorces in Canada has risen by 600%. So within the last 30 years, the percentage has risen by approximately 600% since the initiation of no-fault divorce. We're told that approximately 20%, or one out of every five, uh, children, and the figures uh, presented it in this way, loses a parent to divorce. Those are not my words, but those are the words of the studies. Loses a parent to divorce. In other words, the child feels as if they have been deprived, really, in some way. Usually it's of a father, 
sometimes of a mother. But that's one out of every five. The studies also show that there is a result in juvenile disorders of many different kinds, and we won't go into all the ways in which these disorders manifest themselves. It's not true in every case, but it's true in a large majority of cases, juvenile disorders of various kinds. Now, in 2001, there was a Barna research poll in the United States, and um, this was something that was had startling information, <coughs> and some of the information contained in the Barna research poll of 2001 has been questioned by religious leaders, Christian leaders, of course, but the study said that 33%, uh, there was a 33% divorce rate among individuals within the United States of America who uh, considered themselves to have been born again. And there was a particular question that was asked in the poll about a person's uh, view about whether or not they had been ever born again. And it was to the effect that have you ever at any time in your life accepted Jesus as your Lord or as your Savior, confessed your sins, and believed that as a result you have been born again. And, and the result of the poll was that 33% of those who have been born again, or said they have been born again, that their marriages ended in a divorce. And of all those who were polled, 90% of them said that the divorce occurred after their conversion experience. Again, many dispute the results of the poll, but let's say this morning that it is nevertheless very, very high. Now I want to read several passages of Scripture, and I'll just read them, and you may not have time to follow them along in your Bible because I'm going to read through them very quickly, and you may like to just listen to them as uh, I read them. First of all, I begin in Genesis, the beginning of the, of the Scriptures, Genesis chapter 2. Two verses I'll read, verses 23 and 24. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Into the New Testament, into the book of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. I'll read verses 6 through 9. The words of Jesus. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they two or twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Into 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them or your, your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, and that your prayers be not hindered. Let me just add this commentary. Giving honor, husbands, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. It's a likeness, it's a simile. It's as unto. Treat her as the weaker vessel. She's not always the weaker, but treat her as the weaker vessel. Love her, care for her, give her the light end of something if possible. Have that heart in you as the weaker, precious vessel. Ephesians chapter 5, 
verses 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And then in Colossians 3:19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Never permit or allow any bitterness to rise up inside you with regard to your wife. Never, ever, ever permit it. Because, these are my words, if you permit it, it will take you into a place that you don't even want to go. And then Proverbs chapter 5, and the verses are 15 through 21. And this I'll read from the Amplified Bible. Drink waters out of your own cistern of a pure marriage relationship and fresh running waters out of your own well. Should your offspring be dispersed abroad as water brooks in the streets? Confine yourself to your own wife. Let your children be for you alone and not the children of strangers with you. Let your fountain of human life be blessed with the rewards of fidelity and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant doe, tender, gentle, attractive. Let her bosom satisfy you at all times and always be transported with delight in her love. Why should you, my son, be infatuated with a loose woman, embrace the bosom of an outsider and go astray? The ways of a man are directly before the eyes of the Lord. And he who would have us live soberly, chastely, and godly, carefully weighs all men's goings. One more passage that is found in Malachi. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Yet you ask, why does he reject it? Because the Lord was witness to the covenant made at your marriage between you and and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously and to whom you were faithless. Yet she is your companion and the wife of your covenant made by honor, made by your marriage vows. And did not God make you and your wife one flesh? Did not one make you and preserve your spirit alive? And why did God make you two one? because he sought a godly offspring from your union. Therefore take heed to yourselves and let no one deal treacherously and be faithless to the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I hate divorce and marital separation and him who covers his garment of his wife with violence. Therefore keep a watch upon your spirit that it may be controlled by my spirit that you may not deal treacherously and faithful, faithlessly with your marriage mate. Again, I remind uh, all of us this morning, we are dealing with, subject-wise this morning, with the first command, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, 
You remember how Jesus went on and said, The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then further said that all the law is really combined and contained within these two elements. So now I want to pose the question, why? Why? Why is, uh, why is this infestation, not only in the society, but uh, also within many of the churches and in the lives of many who say that they have been born again of the Spirit? Why? Why does this occur? Why do we have this infestation? And the answer comes back to me this morning. It is because there is a violation of the first command. There's a violation of the first command. God has made us. Men, brothers, fathers, husbands, God has made you. God has made all of us. He has made us in a certain way that we only function well when we uh, obey and follow and our hearts follow the first command. And I want to spend the balance of our time this morning by examining this together. Some of what I want to present to you this morning I've written out. It just seemed to me as if it was best in this particular moment to write it out, to allow the pen to say it. And so I will uh, defer to the pen for a moment. And I will read to you some of, some of this. And all of this addresses the question, why? Why? Because the inner man... You know, the inner man, the real person inside. The inner, uh, the, the inner man loses his ordination. The inner man loses his ordination. You know what it means to be ordained? To be ordained means to be set apart. Uh, to be ordained is to be set apart for a special, or to be reserved for a special purpose. And each of us has been set apart for a special purpose. In the case of a husband, a man, a father, he has been set apart for a special purpose unto God. When he violates the first command, he loses his ordination. And he drifts into ever-increasing darkness in which the fallen nature gains supremacy. No longer is he led by the Spirit of God illuminating his own spirit within but now he begins to be led by his own natural fallen nature. We do have a fallen nature, you know. We also have a spirit that's created in the image of God, intended and designed to be filled and flooded with, with his own spirit. And in this state he is dead while he lives. His God is his appetite. Instead of his God being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, now this particular individual, his God is his appetite. This, the old King James language is his God is his belly. His God is his appetite. His God is his own natural fallen desires. His light has gone out in darkness. North becomes south to him. In his disoriented condition, up is seen as down. And wrong seems right. And in that condition you can argue and debate and encourage and talk until your face is blue without achieving any modicum of success at all because his light has gone out in darkness. He is now lost and he does not know it. 
A man cannot experience real manhood while in violation of the first command. It is impossible for him to obey from the heart any biblical instruction. There can be no value or merit in any religious practice he follows. Apart from radical repentance accompanied by works of restitution, he will depart this life in an unrecoverable state. This is very difficult to say, but it is true. Apart from radical repentance accompanied by works of restitution, you see, because where there is real, genuine repentance, there will also be works of restitution. There will always be the desire, the wrongs that I have done, I desire intensely to make them right. Where you see someone going around and, and endeavoring to make wrongs right, you see someone who is in the state, in the process of biblical repentance. I'm going to reread it. Apart from radical repentance accompanied by works of restitution, he will depart this life in an unrecoverable state. Weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth is the scriptural description reserved for this fate. Now these words are to be heard and believed. And I believe Pat has these on the Romans chapter 8 verses 9, uh, excuse me, verses 5 through 9. Romans chapter 8 verses 5 through 9. It says, For they that are after or follow after the flesh, which is the fallen nature or carnal nature, do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit or follow after the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God from within, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, carnally minded just means to be natural thinking, commanded by the natural mind. To be, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That is, the natural mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And that simply means that the natural mind cannot follow or obey the law of God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What does that mean? It means, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. These are not the words of men. These are the words of God, the Holy Spirit. These words are faithful and these words are true. I'll reread it. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And I hasten and say this again this morning. These words are to be heard, and they are to be believed. I want to come to a conclusion. And in this conclusion part, I simply want to say that in the training of children, training of your children, uh, you are preparing your children for tomorrow. You are preparing your children for adulthood. When you look at your children, you uh, think of them and look at them and you see them in a few years down the road. 
not looking exactly as they look now, but think of them as they will look then. Where will they be then? What will they be doing then? What kind of person will they be? And you uh, dads, fathers in a very special sense, fathers and mothers together, you're training your children for adulthood. And this is one of the most important elements, I believe, that needs to be understood and thought of and, and, uh, and believed in the entire process of training children because they're all being trained for tomorrow. When the children on a Sunday morning go into a Sunday school class, those children are being prepared for tomorrow. They're being invested in. We as older people, some, some, some of us grandparents, some of you parents, let's never forget that what's happening to them right now is a part of the process that will prepare them for tomorrow, for adulthood. Will they be a, a young man? Will they be a man? Will they be a woman who will obey and follow the first command? Will they love God supremely from their heart? And as a consequence of that, love their neighbor as themselves. Now, in the training of children for tomorrow, what we are not doing, what we're really not doing, and I'm talking biblically, scripturally this morning, I'm not talking just in the natural realm. In the biblical realm or the scriptural realm, uh, teaching is very different than it is just in the natural realm. So this is what we are not trying to do. Let me just ask you to think about this with me. We're really not trying to refine them or cultivate the natural man. We're not trying to refine or cultivate the natural person. I'm checked when I say that because I realize that the vast majority of of what we do tends to be done exactly for that purpose and to that end. We want to refine, we want to cultivate the natural person. But that's really not what our goal is. Why not? Because it is not possible to see the kingdom of heaven without being reborn. It's not possible to see the kingdom of heaven without being reborn. Born by the Spirit. Born from above. It's not possible to see the kingdom. It's not possible to perceive the kingdom of heaven. It's not possible to enter into it. It's not possible to experience it without being reborn. And so our goal in training our children for being the adults that they will be tomorrow is to see them reborn of the Spirit, to see them born again, to see them become a new creation in Christ Jesus, to see them recreated in their spirit so that they might come into a place where they find themselves in complete obedience to the first command and they love God supremely. And they say, my will is to do thy will, O Lord. Now it is not what we do. It is not what we do, it's who we are. And we need to train our children for tomorrow, thinking so much, it's not just what we do, it's not what the children do. Are you satisfied or are we satisfied when they do the right things? It's not what they do, it's who they are. It's not what we do, it's who we are. Now when born from above, our thinking and doing will will manifest the kingdom of God from within. 
when we are born from above, our thinking and doing will manifest the kingdom of God from within. And so I would say this this morning then, don't pray. Don't pray. I'm going to come back to where we began a little bit this morning. Don't pray just for the somebody will do something that is the right thing. Don't pray that he will not abandon his wife and his family. Don't pray that he will not abandon his wife and his children. Don't ask that his mind will be changed in this because his intention to do so reveals a much deeper problem. And what is that deeper problem that is revealed by his intention to do so? The deeper problem is he does not see the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't experience it. He doesn't know it. If he were experiencing the kingdom of heaven, his intention would be a thousand million miles removed from such a decision and such a choice. His, be, his citizenship is not in heaven. He has a much deeper problem. He doesn't see the kingdom of heaven. His citizenship is not in heaven. His behavior is unmasking a true condition. And I'm going to close with these words. Pray. Pray. Pray in this, in this way. Pray. And the he that I refer to is a thousand, a thousand, a million he's. You might have some he's that come to mind. But there are millions of these. Thousands of these many of them sitting in positions similar to the positions that we are sitting in today. And the heart is not right with God. And sometimes we don't even know it until we see certain behaviors manifested. And when we see those behaviors manifested, we become all alarmed and upset. Oh, may the behaviors change. Oh, Lord, change the behaviors. But it is the heart that needs to be changed so that the behaviors will change. And so pray this way. Pray that he might be saved because he is not saved. And take the thinking and banish it from your mind that people are saved who are not saved and who give no evidence of being saved. Stop the unbiblical, unscriptural notions that people are saved who give no fruit of having been saved. And rather pray for them. Pray that he might be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth before it is too late. Amen.